Out of town, subtle files, and welcome to another episode of Escaping the Cave, escapingthecave.com, fuck Twitter, no Facebook page. This is the second of two episodes being released on the same day. This has been hell week. First coronavirus, the stock market meltdown, the oil market crash, Italy's on lockdown. First episodes about the media and coronavirus, I highly suggest to go check out episode number 70. Released on the same day, March 11th, 2020. This one's going to be about politics. The second Super Tuesday just happened, including right here in Michigan. Bernie Sanders on the cusp, perhaps, as I record this, of being uh, in a position to take himself out of the primary. This episode, politics. Politics, 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 because we need more politics in our lives. (laughs) can't avoid it it's like herpes anyway yeah second of two for today hope you enjoy it thanks for clicking in you're listening to the escaping the cave podcast at escapingthecave.com fuck twitter no facebook hi i'm your friendly host todd oh i hit that post did you hear that shit Part of radio I really miss. Hatchet, one of their uh, most underrated tunes. Everybody knows Flirting with Disaster, but uh, Dreams I'll Never See, no. I shouldn't say nobody knows it, but uh, not nearly as many people as know Flirting with Disaster. Anyway, yeah, it is uh, the day after the Michigan primary. It's March 11th in 2020. And yeah, I was pretty happy. If you listened to the last podcast, you can understand how happy I was uh, to see the results and the returns come in from uh, here in my home state. Last night, Joe Biden did really well, better than I expected him to. I had a little anxiety going into that election last night. Uh, Bernie Sanders won Michigan back in uh, 2016. And I heard something on CNN that actually impressed me last night. I think it was, uh, what's his name, uh, the Southern guy, for, uh, what's his name, the guy in the afternoon, uh, Jake Tapper, actually postulated on TV, uh, that maybe Bernie's success back in 2016, when he won Michigan and did so well around the country, had as much to do with Hillary Clinton's unpopularity as it did with any affinity for Bernie's revolutionary ideals. And I screamed, Eureka! <laughs> Go figure! You think? Could be, it could be. And that reminded me of a quote from George Orwell from 1938. An essay he wrote called uh, Political Reflections on the Crisis was published in something called the Adelphi. But he said that a small body of noisemakers can, for a while, give the impression that they are more numerous than they are. The mass of people are normally silent. They do not sign manifestos, attend demonstrations, answer questionnaires, or even join political parties. 
As a result, it is very easy to mistake a handful of slogan shouters for the entire nation. To get a real idea of the balance of forces, one ought not to be watching those 5,000 people who are making noise in the Albert Hall. One ought to be watching those 5 million outside who are saying nothing, but who are quite possibly thinking, and who will cast their votes at the next election. Just this that propaganda organizations tend to prevent. Instead of trying to assess the state of public opinion, they reiterate that they are public opinion, and they and a few people around them and by believing it. God bless George friggin' Orwell. I haven't read much Orwell lately. I'm going to start again. <laughs> Based on that, I decided to go look at the totals. The totals of all of the primaries so far, because I've been getting this impression. I have this, this memory in my head. It seems like he's always finishing, Bernie Sanders, always finishing between 30 and maybe 36%. And it's been that way regardless of who's been in the race. Whereas with the moderates, Joe Biden's erupted as those moderates have fallen out of the race. Bernie Sanders, it seems in my head... <laughs> is the the liberal Donald Trump. He's got this core base of really passionate, fanatical supporters. But they've been voting for him all along. People are not changing their mind. As people drop out of the race, they're not flocking over to Bernie because they support his revolution. He's got his people, and that's all he has. Oh, and as for the youth quake I keep hearing about, we're going to bring out young people. No, you're not. You haven't. That is such fantastical fantasy land utopian thinking that you're going to you're if you're counting on young people to support your campaign you got a problem you have a practical problem the percentage of youth voters is down from 2016 whereas in a number of states I have to look at this I may be speaking on a school here but I think in a number of states the vote the, the vote turnout has been up I know Virginia it was massively up, but the percentage of the youth vote dropped. The youth quake isn't happening. <laughs> the youth is seismically stable. It's not coming out. It's not coming out to, to lift you upon the socialist pedestal, the revolutionary pedestal. It's not happening. You are not ascending via the arms of America's youth. That is incredibly clear. Elizabeth Warren, not in the race this week. He still got throttled. Where are all Elizabeth Warren supporters going? Most analysis that I've heard, many if not most of them are going to Joe Biden. They're not going over to Bernie. Maybe it has something to do with the animosity. Maybe it has something to do with the aggression of the Bernie bros, the Bernie babies. Bernie, you're bust. Oh, and that's happening on Twitter today. As everybody expects uh, Bernie to drop out of the race you're here in the next week. The Dem Exit 2020 thing is trending on Twitter, as is write-in Bernie. Guess what else happened this week? The vulture has swooped down from on high. She swooped down from Green Tea Mountain. Jill Stein, finally, made her appearance, made her presence known, as I've been saying she would. I haven't forgot you, Jill. I've been talking regularly about you, Jill, since 2016. Well, she finally 
came out and farted into the political discourse this week saying that Joe Biden is cognitively impaired or declining and that the Democratic establishment is trying to cover it up. I've called him to mention Joe. <laughs> there is a slowdown there. I understand that. But where? why is it coming from you, Jill? This fits a pattern, doesn't it? I'm not saying there's not a problem with Joe Biden and uh, the perception that he perhaps is slipping into old age, mentally speaking, cognitively speaking. That's going to be an issue moving forward. But why from you, Jill? What's your ulterior motive here, Jill? I'm not going to say anything pretentious like what's past is prologue. I'm not going to presume to fart Russian asset in your general direction. But again, I like you. You're my friend, Tazilophile. Beware the vulture. She's starting to swoop. She's starting to dive bomb the election. I got to say, it's really odd that she vanished like a fart in the regime change war wind for three years. She's been nowhere. I've been asking, where's Jill Stein? Where's Jill Stein? She was here to save America. (laughs) Where the hell she been for three years? Nowhere. Until Hillary Clinton called her a Russian asset. Oh, then she showed the fuck up. And now here she is this week on the day of the primary, the Michigan primary. Poof! It arrives like a ghost from election past, like a demon from election past. There's Jill Stein in her unshaven pits. There is nothing more predictable than this. Here she is again agitating party division. And today, right in Bernie, Demex at 2020, trending. The day she announces her presence with, I don't know, call it what you want. Sure isn't a big razor. And of course, right on cue, the cyber carp are out there devouring all this bait. There's a lot of talk on social media that the uh, the um, Demex at 2020 and the right in Bernie hashtags that are trending came from elsewhere. I don't know about that. I'm not an expert on the Twitter, but I can tell you this. I would love to see <laughs> in a sane media world, in a sane media environment, in a sane ecosystem, Rene DiResta would have a daily television show to be talking about this, to be educating the public uh, on this. And I would love to see laser focus on Jill fucking Stein for the rest of this campaign. Because I know I said I wouldn't say it. I'll try not to, I'll say it as unpretentiously as I can. What's past is Anyway, uh, I was saying, sorry, I got off on a rant there, but I was saying that uh, uh, Bernie Sanders, in my my head, I seem to have this impression anyway, that he was right around 30, in in the mid-30s, mid uh, low to mid-30s for most of these primaries. So I decided to go to USA Today. They have a listing of all of the uh, uh, primary results up on their website. And I started going through it and looked at it. It's like Alabama, 16.5%. He underperformed there. Bernie Sanders in Arkansas, 22.4%. California, California, Bernie's riding at 342 right now. It hasn't, I don't think it's even been called yet. California, 34.2% to Joe Biden's 27.5% and Michael Bloomberg sitting at 13. You combine Bloomberg and Biden, you've got 40% of the vote in California. You combine Bernie and Elizabeth Warren, you're at 47%, but nobody expected Joe Biden to even be competitive in California. Nobody expected the moderates to even be competitive in California. 
Bernie won Colorado with 36.8% of the vote. Biden and Bloomberg right behind him. Biden won Idaho last night, a state that I do believe uh, Sanders won pretty handily back in 2016. Biden got 48.9, Bernie at 42.5. He finished, that's one of his higher finishing totals in the primary. The Iowa caucus, 26.1%. Yeah, there were more people in there, but he's not, <laughs> he's not adding these votes. The main primary, Joe Biden won that one. Bernie Sanders, 32.9. Massachusetts, 26.7 for Bernie. Sanders here in Michigan, 36.4% last night. Minnesota primary, Bernie, 29.9. Mississippi, you don't even want to know. Mississippi, right now, as I'm looking at the screen, 14.8%. He's not even going to get a delegate out of Mississippi. He doesn't hit 15. He lost Missouri to Biden. Big. Missouri last night, 34.6%. The Nevada caucus. He does well in caucuses, 46.8. The New Hampshire primary up there in New England. He won with 25.7, barely beating out Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> Amy Klobuchar was right behind. North Carolina primary, 24.1%. Another caucus state he won last night, North Dakota. He got 53.3. Oklahoma primary, 25.4%. South Carolina, 19.9%. Tennessee, 25%. Texas primary. He was supposed to win Texas, remember? He only got 30% and lost to Biden's 34.5. There's a theme here. There's a trend here. He's getting between 25 and maybe 40% in most of these states. He's not going up. He's not increasing. He is not expanding the coalition. People are not moving to him. As the candidate body count increased and these candidates moved away and dropped out of the race, voters are not moving toward Bernie. He really is like Donald Trump. He's got this core, this very solid, this very rabid base, but nobody else. Nobody else is moving towards him. And sorry, youngins just ain't showing up. Utah, 35.3. He won Utah. I don't understand Utah. <laughs> Millions of people have said that throughout history, but I don't get Utah. Bernie got 35.3% of the vote in the Utah primary. He won it with 35% of the vote. Up in Vermont, he got 50.8. That's the only state that I, maybe there's another one, but 50.8, uh, he actually got over 50%. Virginia, though, this is where the turnout was huge. It was astronomical in Virginia. He only got 23.1% of the vote to Biden's 53.2, uh, where the turnout was so huge. Well over a million people in Virginia. Well over. Biden got 705,000 votes to Bernie's 306,000. More than doubled him. The Washington primary. This is supposed to be a Bernie stronghold. It's not been called yet because it's incredibly close. 2,000 votes separate Bernie and Biden. Bernie, 32.7 to Biden's 32.5. Again, in the low 30s. It's something that I've noticed from the beginning of the primaries is that the moderates are moving around a little bit. They're kind of trying to figure out who and what they want to support. Whereas Bernie Sanders has his supporters, and he is not gaining any, even as the candidates drop out of the race. Again, he's like Donald Trump. He's got his base core supporters, and they're passionate, and they're loyal to their credit. All right, fine, but not much else. You've got a solid 25 to 30 percent of the country that is interested, at least willing, to either be on board for your revolution 
or are willing to vote for an anti-establishment candidate. I don't think they're all in one the same. I think there are a lot of people that are just fed up with politics and are willing to vote for anybody who's not from one establishment or the other. If you're a liberal and you're an anti-establishment, you're going to vote for Bernie. doesn't mean that you're on board for everything that encompasses a, a revolution. Just as a lot of people voted for Trump, they're just sick of everything. That well, sounds weird. Maybe not so weird. But yeah, I think he is the, uh, the left's version of Donald Trump in that regard. And down that line, I talked about this last Friday, down that line, <laughs> the Democrats... I'm really happy to see this. I was thrilled to see this as much as anything. The Democrats have (laughs) proven to be the one institution, the one American institution so far that has managed to, I don't know, produce some antibodies and repel the extremist uh, infection. An institution that has defended itself. I talked about Walter Lippmann last week as well, talking about how insurgencies, external insurgencies, use the mechanisms of democracy. They use the institutions to seize power, to take power, and then they dismantle from within. And he said that the reason they do that is because the democratic institutions are poorly defended. The Democratic Party, that institution defended itself, defended itself fiercely in the last two weeks. And I, for one, am thrilled to see that. I wish we had more of this. I wish the Senate had defended itself that way. I wish the Republican Party would have done the same thing back in 2016. And that is a huge difference here. Because Bernie and Trump, Trump's candidacy in 2016, the candidates are nothing alike, but the the, the candidacies had a lot of similarities. And the Republicans back in 2016 stayed in too long. They stayed fragmented too long until it was too late. The Democrats did not make that mistake this year. Something happened right after South Carolina about 10, 11 days ago. The adults in that party made a decision and said, this is what we are going to do. We are not going to make the same mistake the Republicans made with Donald Trump because if we put this Democratic Socialist on that ballot come November, we will be throttled. We have got to coalesce around someone sane. Someone a little more mainstream. Someone who is not going to perpetuate and uh, fuel the extremism, the bilateral extremism. Someone who at least gives the appearance, at least is a simple figure for unity, for moderation, for sanity, for breaking the fever. Because they rightfully, I think, have sort of taken the temperature of the electorate, looking at the vote totals. It's not hard to see. Just look at the totals of all the moderates, all the people that are talking about unity, talking about sanity, talking about taking things down, if not back to normal, if not taking it back to Obama, at least taking the rhetoric and the extremism back to where it should be. People supporting that have outvoted the extremists consistently through this primary. And I also find it telling, as I alluded to in, the, in one of the podcasts last week, that, that Elizabeth Warren still hasn't come out and endorsed anyone. And a lot of the talking heads, a lot of the political professionals that I've heard talking this week, various places, have said that uh, her supporters are not flocking to Bernie. Where is the bump? 
Again, I'm going to repeat this. I think it's a, a really important um, sign, development. I don't know if it's important. I'm just happy to see it. The Democratic Party, the first national institution that I have seen to successfully protect itself from the insurgent threat. Sanders and Democratic Socialism. There's no other way to explain this. The last 11 days or so have seen no less than a historic turnaround and a, I don't know, revival. <laughs> Resurrection, resuscitation of a candidate in Joe Biden. You don't see that kind of thing in electoral politics. Repeating again, much of Sanders' early success due to fragmenting the vote. Too many candidates gorging on the majority pie. And referring back to the Orwell quote I used earlier, I've suspected that uh, his momentum, meaning Bernie Sanders' momentum early on, was overblown because you could see it in the vote totals coming out of these various states. I was concerned that these moderates were egocentrically going to stay in this election too long, whereas Bernie Sanders would take his 30 to 35 percent every primary and collect enough delegates to where his lead would be insurmountable. Repeating the mistake of the Republican Party in 2016. Antibodies against the extremist infection. Thank God. Thank God. Now, looking forward, Bernie Sanders is not dumb. You know, he may possibly uh, be out of the race this time next week. Got Illinois, Pennsylvania, Florida, and I think Arizona next week. None of those, with the exception of possibly Arizona, but Illinois, Pennsylvania, and uh, Florida. Is it Pennsylvania next week? Ohio. It's Ohio next week. Illinois, Ohio, and Florida next week are not exactly Bernie strongholds. They went to Clinton in 2016, and Bernie's underperforming what he did in that election cycle. California's already done, Texas as well. What is the path here? What's the path forward for him to win the nomination? I mean, I would love to see him withdraw. Seems unlikely at this point. I mean, I, I'm talking today. I would love to see him out of the race today. So the Democrats can sort of consolidate and move toward Trump. Like I said earlier, apparently he wants to debate in uh, Phoenix on Sunday. And honestly, I wouldn't, you know, eh. this scares me a little bit, but I really wouldn't mind seeing Biden tested mentally, cognitively, Jill. I would not mind seeing him on stage one-to-one -one with Bernie on Sunday, where he has to think on his feet and not talk from a teleprompter. There were moments in his speech last night, in his little victory speech that he gave in Philadelphia, where he seemed like Joe Biden. He got a little cranky, a little. His voice rose. He's get he gets this this sort of high pitched kind of inflection in his voice when he gets uh, riled up about something. I remember seeing that a lot. I didn't see too much. There was there were elements of that last night. I don't know that it would be a bad thing to put him on stage on Sunday to test him, to give people a look at him. If he is sharp, if he's still Joe Biden, he needs to show it. So you can shut Jill Stein the fuck up. And so you can end that uh, whole line of attack that you know is coming from Trump. Maybe it's a good thing. Maybe that would be a really good thing. You know, I criticize Jill Stein. I just, I criticize her very presence. She needs to go away. After 2016, after looking at those, those vote totals from Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin back in uh, 2016, get the fuck away from this election. Get your pestilence out of the electoral process, Jill. He'll sing a song. Go make another record for fuck's sake. I'll buy it. I will buy that piece of shit vocal abortion if you just please get your stinky little fingers off the election. 
go do something else. I criticize her, but the thing is, is that she can go out and she can say these things on Twitter because they're not 100% without merit. A lot of people have seen it. I myself, I have to cop to this. I've called him Dementia Joe. He seems slower to me. That has to be addressed. That's going to have to be addressed at some It's going to be either addressed or exposed at some point between now and November. If he's the nominee, you think Trump isn't going to drag that out of him on stage if they debate? I can tell you, there a lot of things still have to go right here. If Biden gets the nomination, a lot of things have to go right. He has to address that. He's got to he's got to resummit Mount Hunter, as you know, that's coming from Trump. He's got to bring the Bernie Bros in. A lot of things have to go right for Biden to win uh, come November, and I would feel a hell of a lot better about it if it was 2016 Biden or 2012 Biden. But it's not. It's 2020 Biden. We're stuck with. There is no other alternative here. It's the right one. I wish the Democrats had put forth some other candidate that was as strong as Biden, a centrist, a moderate candidate who was as strong as him. I'm still thinking about John Kerry, but then I think about 2004. Like, uh, I wish they'd done that, but they didn't. This is what we've got to go up against Trump this fall. They made the right decision based on what they had. This is the only thing that can work, as I said in the podcast last week. It may not. It may fail. Trump may be reelected, and God help us in 2024 if that happens, because the uh, liberal wing, the social democratic wing, the Bernie wing, oh, you take a moderate and get beat this fall, you're not going to be able to stand in their way in 2024. Four more years of Trump? Yeah. Biden better win this fall. If you are not a socialist, if you are a you know, left to center, but you're not a socialist, you're not on board with Bernie's revolution, you better get your ass out and vote for Biden. You better get your friends out to vote for Biden. You better get your family out to vote for Biden. Maybe import some Puerto Ricans to vote for Biden. Wait, can Puerto Rico vote? Import some Guatemalans. They need help anyway. But yeah, if you're not on board with that far left revolutionary totalitarianism shit, it's coming from AOC and the rest of them. If you're not on board with that... You better pray. I am. I don't even believe in God. Me and God, we got our differences. Please, God. Please. Let him win and let him do well. And please, for the love of God, Mr. Biden, do not nominate some woke flake for vice president. You have a 50-50 chance of not surviving your time in office. Don't go getting Stacey Abrams or some token candidate. Yeah, I'm using it again intentionally. Get somebody who's qualified. Get somebody who's going to do a good job if, God forbid, something happens to you after you're inaugurated and they have to become president. It is probably the most important uh, vice presidential pick of my lifetime because there is a legitimate chance that Biden won't be able to even finish his first term. Somebody has to be in place that can hit the ground running. I don't want to hear about Stacey Abrams. I don't want to hear about, oh, we need a black female on the... I don't want to hear any of that shit. I want to hear how qualified you are. You know who I would love to see on that ticket? My buddy Eric suggested this this week. I don't know if it can happen. I don't even know if it's legal. I'd love to see Barack Obama as the vice presidential pick. I'd love that. Oh, I would love that. Anyway, nothing is certain yet. It's almost a full eight months until the election happens. That's an eternity. A lot has to go really well. But personally, as soon as he becomes the nominee, I know who I'm voting for this November. 
locked up. There was a lot of question about that because had you nominated Bernie Sanders, I don't play this authoritarian versus totalitarian game. I've already made my my opinions and thoughts on the Democratic Socialists. I've made that abundantly clear, and I meant it. To me, this election of this primary season is about the, the voters, the constituency, the voting public, and who we are, who they support, how they see this country going. If, if it's going to become extremist versus extremist, if it becomes authoritarian versus totalitarian, you got to pick <laughs> the one that doesn't hate you. It turns into a matter of self-interest. I've never understood how middle-aged white guys, how any middle-aged white guy, I know Trump owns them. I don't understand how any of them can vote for a democratic socialist. They do not like you. In fact, they think you are responsible for pretty much every evil in the country. I don't understand how anybody with sons, with children who are boys, can support that ideology. I don't understand it. I wouldn't want to be a young man today. Socially, I am concerned for boys moving forward. But I also understand the whole philosophy behind boomeranging, the backlash, and how things tend to go in cycles. We had the 60s. Then came the 70s. Look at the 80s. Pendulums tend to swing. But personally, no. Being a middle-aged white dude who likes women, there's no way in hell that I'm, I would have voted for anyone to the left of Klobuchar in this election. I would have voted for Trump. I was prepared to. But in my view, you chose wisely. So I'm happy to vote for Joe Biden if it means that Trump and his extremist politically transmitted disease can be eradicated from the White House. I am happy to do it. And I encourage each and every one of you, if you're not in love with Donald Trump, if you're not in love, if you're not suckling from his man tit, to embrace doing the same. Just get him out of office. Let Biden do his job for a couple of years. He's only going to be in there one term. He's not going to be doing a two-term presidency. Can you even see and imagine, conceptualize in your head the day in 2025 when Joe Biden is sworn in again? It ain't going to happen. It's a one-term thing. Get the extremist buffoon out of office and we can relitigate this in four years. First things first. Embrace that. It's the only thing, as I said last week, that can work. That can move this country back toward, if not, you know, being united, at least being cooperative, at least being on the same team again. It's the only thing, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it's the only thing that can work toward that end. It's all we got. Got to make the best of it. I've done some other prep work. This is going to be it, I think, for politics for a while. Three episodes in a row. <laughs> You're welcome. But I've done some prep work. I'm going to start to uh, twist things back, as I've been threatening for a while, to uh, the media, to agitation propaganda, and to this informational anarchy situation that we seem to be finding ourselves in. Not seem to be. We're there. We are immersed in it. We are drowning. Staggering. Down the road in an informational anarchy. Stupor. I'm going to get back to that, I think. Escapingthecave.com. That's my website. Fuck Twitter. No Facebook page. 
Make sure you check those subscriptions. Make sure you are subscribed to an Escaping the Cave authentic feed. No imitators, please. And make sure you share the podcast if you enjoy it. Appreciate that. Thank you ever so much for clicking in. We'll talk to you next time. So long.